Hello, I'm Natalie Kenway. I'm Kirsten. Hi, it's Sebastian Cheek here. Hi, I'm Cheryl and welcome to the May edition of ESG Out Loud podcast. I have to say, I can't believe that we are halfway through May already, therefore nearly halfway through 2021. I had to stop myself the other day as I was interviewing a fund manager and I was about to ask them for their outlook for the key trends in 2021 and quickly had to rephrase it to the second half of 2021. The time is flying so quickly. Let's talk about what we have up coming up in this episode, which we have decided to focus on governance and more specifically the campaign for better governance run by the different publications at Last Word Media. We launched this back in February as we felt that with certain news flow coming through, it was time for the investment industry to increase its focus inwardly. There has been this sort of unprecedented interest in ESG investing and with the global pandemic, companies' treatment of all their stakeholders has been under intense scrutiny. scrutiny. But the G, the governance part of ESG, has often been overlooked. So we want investment managers, particularly those who promote products as responsibly invested, to practice what they preach and ensure they are running their own organisations in a way that they expect the companies they invest in to run their companies. So alongside the editors of Portfolio Advisor, International Advisor, Expert Investor and Diversity Q, we share more on what the campaign for better governance means for each publication and what you can expect in terms of coverage. After that, I speak to Peter Ullenbrook, Head of Investor Standards at Share Action about the work the, ca- the charity has carried out and the shareholder re- resolutions he has been back in. And then as a little treat at the end, alongside our staycation series on the ESG Clarity website, I talk about my break, my staycation in Brixham. And I interview Mitch Tonks, owner of the restaurant chain in Devon, Rockfish, about all about the sustainable fishing industry and their work there. But firstly, let's chat to the other editors. Hi, it's Sebastian Cheek here, editor of Portfolio Advisor magazine. And uh, we are very pleased to be part of the campaign for better governance. Um, I guess governance for us is something we've been looking at for, for a long time. I guess it comes into to all aspects of, of investing. Um, in particular, the uh, over the past year or so, I'd say the um, regulatory moves around assessment of value exercises that uh, fund boards are having to do. We've been doing a lot along those lines. Um, of course, the fallout and the uh, the aftermath of the, the Woodford affair, what's going on there, I think that's forced all fund groups really to, to sit up and uh, take a look at what they're doing uh, in terms of governance, how their compliance and risk measures are up to scratch uh, and that kind of thing. Um, and then also as part of that, I suppose, uh, the look at fees and how uh, fees have come down a lot again over the past couple of years as the growth of uh, low cost passive and index alternatives has uh, taken the centre stage and um, well eaten into active flows so uh, yeah we're very happy to be part of the campaign for better governance and we look forward to working with you on this in the coming months and years thanks I'm Kirsten editor of international advisor and expert investor when it comes to governance what we are seeing is firms taking a harder look at the individuals and investment teams managing their assets Reputational risk definitely seems to be more at the forefront of their minds, and this could either be failing to conduct enough early due diligence or failing to consistently monitor and, when necessary, challenge the fund managers. This is something that we're seeing more and more of, and I would expect that to be the case moving forward. Hi, I'm Cheryl, editor of Diverse PQ. 
Here at DQ, better governance means having robust ways of working and people management processes anchored by best practice diversity and inclusion, values, policies and frameworks. We are seeing increasing pressure from investors, customers and employees causing CEOs to focus their businesses on purpose, resilience and long-term sustainability. Board priorities are shifting onto people and the business's impact on wider society. There's a clear shift in business focus away from short-term gains in favour of emphasising long-term value creation as one way of managing people risk. So for ESG clarity, this is clearly a big topic. It's in the title and we've been pleased to see an increasing focus on this, particularly around the pandemic. We've seen companies think about their treatment of stakeholders and listening to them more. And we saw in the pandemic where companies had to furlough or even lay off staff, management teams were also taking 25% pay cuts too. So looking at the investment management industry, we launched this campaign as it benefits the greater good of all stakeholders within the business, the employees, the business who they work with, the supply chains um, who are associated with them. And of course, all the people who entrust asset management or investment managers with their savings. But it's also a benefit for the wider industry as well and its reputation. Let's face it, it hasn't been great since the global financial crisis. And we are over a decade on from that. So far on ESG Clarity, the campaign for better governance has included articles on diversity policies at some of the asset management firms with companies being highlighted for having very few senior women on their senior management on their boards, but then saying diversity is part of their stock of fund selection. We've also looked at transparency in pensions voting, disability inclusion, data and how it's collected, as well as some social partnerships that grouped groups have embarked on. It's not all bad news. There are some really good positive stories out there. Another big focus for us has been corporate culture. And we recently launched the How to Act Roundtable series with City Hive and Morningstar, which again is focused specifically on the investment management industry and how corporate culture can be improved. So look out for more of those as we move through the year. We have some exciting guests and topics coming up for that. Now I'm joined by Peter Yellenbrook, Head of Investor Standards at Share Action, the charity that has been operating for 12 years, trying to transform the investment system so that it is geared towards the long-term interests of savers, society and the environment. They campaign for transparency so people with assets are able to see where their money is put to work, accountability, sustainable economic and human development and delivering value for money. But I will let Peter share all the details with you. Thank you for joining me, Peter. Thanks, Natalie. It's an absolute um, honour to be here today. I've been really looking forward to this chat. Me too. So first of all, can you share a little bit more about Share Action? I'm sure many of our listeners are familiar with the organisation, but for those who aren't, can you just give us a brief overview and what your role entails as well? Absolutely, absolutely. So um, yeah, it was in, in your introduction, you noticed uh, you noted that we've, we've, we've been in operation for over uh, 10 years. So we've been doing this for a little while now. Um, we're a little charity with a big mission. Um, our, our driving mission and, and, and purpose is to transform the global investment system so it becomes truly accountable for the real world impacts of those investments on people and um, planet. Um, so very, very lofty goal, but um, we're quite strategic in, in how we do that. And we work with um, all stakeholders across the investment value chain. So we try to get companies to become more sustainable by leveraging investor uh, alliances um, and, and coalitions to put the pressure on. Um, we also challenge investors themselves through uh, research and, and rankings. And that's a large part of my role 
I'll go into a second. Uh, we also do a lot of work with policymakers, mainly here in the, the uh, UK and the EU to, to build a more supportive policy to promote responsible investment. And lastly, but not leastly, uh, with individual savers to um, raise awareness about where the pension goes, or um, you know whether whether their bank you know lends money to to, to Colin to advocate for um, action on, on that side uh, as as well. Um, my role is head of investor standards, so uh, I work very closely with our financial sector research team who might be known for their global rankings of financial institutions on responsible uh, investment. Um, that, that team took over the uh, asset owners disclosure project a few years ago, and now we um, publish global rankings of asset managers, pension funds, and insurers around every two years. And my job, I, I think I have the best job in the world because I get to go and meet those investors. Uh, and in the last 12 months, it's mainly been Zoom calls, lots and lots of Zoom calls, chatting to, um, uh, ESG professionals from 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 all these institutions um, and talking about their performance and, and how they can do better. And um, part of my role is to promote investor standards so that responsible investment approaches really match the systemic crises and issues that we're, we're facing today. Um, and, and there's a lot in there. And, and I'm really happy that the topic today is around governance and internal processes because I, I think that's quite critical and um, is a key part of my role as well. Right. Well, yeah, it sounds like you're extremely busy. Um, and those uh, global rankings, our coverage of those have been one of one amongst our most popular stories on the SG Clarity website. Um, I think everyone just wants to have a little, little look where they where they sit or whether whether the the, the asset management houses where they place their investment with sit. So yes, they've been very well read. So it's pleasing to see so many investors become more motivated in, in terms of voting in favour of climate change mitigation policies, um, particularly recently. So can you share some of the success stories you've seen at Share Action? Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the areas um, we're starting to see more progress is in um, voting practices on, on climate uh, resolutions. Um, and and this is something that we've published research on the last two years um, and is one of our popular research documents as we analyze the voting practices of the world's largest asset managers on key climate and, and recently social resolutions. And in terms of successes, I think one really important trend is in the last 12 months, we've seen a handful of US um, asset managers really start to um, increase their support for climate related resolutions. So some names, um, Northern Trust Asset Management, uh, JP Morgan Asset Management and Wellington Management have basically gone from around, you know, single figures or above to uh, the majority of, of resolutions, uh, which is which is really good and a trend that we're hoping plenty more peers to um to to pick up on and, and follow uh, suit. We know that European NASA managers have been quite progressive on voting for many years, but um that the US has been a real lagging region. Uh, so that's that's quite positive. Mm. Um, another really big win worth mentioning, and um, it's related to voting, is um, uh, investors now getting a bit more active in co-filing resolutions uh, strategically. Mm. And one sector that, that's been a bit overlooked in recent years, um, you know, the last three or four years has been a huge focus on direct emitters in the real economy, but um, the, the, the banking sector uh, has really... Um, increased in focus by investors. And this year, Share Action 
coordinated with um with the support of around 2.4 trillion worth of assets um but i think it was over 10 i forget the exact number of um, investors who co-filed a resolution at hsbc um and last year hsbc you know they took a good step and made a, a long-term net zero um pledge or, or, or commitment um but this resolution was asking them to uh, translate that into short-term action, particularly around the phase out of, of fossil fuels. And um, there was a lot of engagement with, with the bank that ended up to HSBC tabling their own resolution. So a management proposed resolution, which is terrific. And in exchange, um, the, the, the shareholder proposal was, was withdrawn, but that resolution will see HSBC making more concrete commitments to phase out fossil fuels. Um, in, in, the, in their portfolios, so that that's um, you know that's an example of where filing resolutions can lead to really rapid change, where um, you know perhaps over a course of a few years, investors have been engaging on this topic and having limited uh, reach. So it's um, it's not voting per se, but it's using resolution power, um, and 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 I think that's something that we're going to see more of, or I hope we see more of um, uh, in the twenty twenty two. Uh, voting um, voting season. So, look, I, I think those are really good indicators of of, of progress um, in, in in this area. Mm. Yeah, I think that I agree that um, that looks like it's going to be the direction of travel going forwards. So, but what what areas have um, been more disappointing um, recently? Where 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 was um, something happened that's not planned out as you'd hoped? Yeah. Oh, there's, there's, there's still a lot. <laughs> um, and, and I've been really lucky in my role of, of, I've managed to chat personally with 50 of the world's largest 75 asset managers on, on their performance. And, 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 um, when you look at the sector as a whole, there's still a long way to go, um, when it comes to stewardship. So one of the shock findings from our um, global ranking of asset managers last year, that report was called Point of No Returns, was that still around half of, of those top 75 asset managers don't provide fit for purpose disclosure around their, their voting or, or engagement practices. I mean, that's shocking. Um, you, you look at, at, at the, the how much progress we still need to see from the corporate world, especially on climate change. And exercising in investor influence and shareholder power is, is critical to doing that. So mm. the fact that half of the sector doesn't tell you how they're using that power, um, to me, that's a huge disappointment and has been one of the biggest topics that we've had in our discussions. And I, I think that that's going to change pretty soon. I think um, big clients, asset owner clients, are becoming a bit more demanding now or are starting mm. to ask tougher questions. I think in certain regions, stewardship standards through through stewardship codes and and, and, and regulatory policies are starting to, to lift lift the policies. But the industry's been really slow um, to pick up on that. So so I hope that's gonna get um, better. The yeah disappointments another one um, we we talked to a lot of investment houses that 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 seem to be under the impression that that bottom-up ESG risk integration is enough when it comes to responsible investment. Mm. Um, and and I, you know, wearing my share action hat, you know that that that's 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 half the story, isn't it? Like yeah, it's because the these, <laughs> it's just it's just the start, right? And that's just financial common sense. But when you look at the the, the scale of the climate crisis and the diverse the biodiversity crisis, like like these are natural systems that the economy and financial system depends upon. If they break down, 
there won't be a quality of life for human beings, let alone financial systems. To mitigate those systemic risks require radical action um, today. Um, and bottom-up risk integration on ESG issues just isn't going to get us there, right? right so mm -hmm. responsible investment that, that needs a higher standard than just looking at what's financial material at an asset level or, or even a sector level. So, you know, the leaders, and we've seen it, asset managers, you know, blending top-down approaches, you know, they've done their climate scenario analysis work. They've identified um, what, what impacts climate change and, and, and um, biodiversity, which is, biodiversity is quite new. They're not quite there yet because the data isn't as, as evolved, mm -hmm. but yeah. at least they're starting to think about it and say, look, these are the most at-risk sectors we need to engage on. Here are the, some clear sectors we need to remove capital from, you know, thermal coal is a clear um, example, that, 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 that value chain. Um, so a big part of our discussions is like, where's, where's your top-down analysis? Um, and, and, you know, this comes to governance too, which we're going to yeah. talk about in, in a little bit. And I've got plenty more disappointments, but just, I think for the sake <laughs> of time, I might just put a pause there. <laughs> yeah, no, no, that's great. I mean, just to touch on, I'm, I'm, I'm so surprised that you, that you, you said half, half of the, half of the corporate sector are not disclosing. Um, is that right? Half of the asset managers the um, management sector, don't yeah. disclose the the corporate engagement. Yeah, um, I mean, we've, I, I listen to, so I see so many marketing campaigns about transparency and um, the increasing engagement reports that are being published. It's I'm really surprised it's that so high. Um, yeah, and clearly a lot of work still to be done on that. Yeah, we'll be doing our next global ranking next year. Mm. Um, so I'm really hoping that um, it'll be a different picture then. Yeah. And, and actually, I'm quite. Um, uh, uh, I'm a bit of an optimist at heart. I think you have to be to sort mm. of, you know, survive working in this space. So I, I am, I'm cautiously optimistic that that'll be a much figure, a better figure ne next year. And, and certainly, mm. you know, we've put a lot of effort and resources and time into to saying, you know, show us your votes, show us your rationales for key ESG votes. Um, votes. Tell us about your your stewardship. And a lot of the time, I think there's 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 stewardship activity that that, that that's mm. happening on ESG, but it's just not being told. Yeah. Um, but I think stakeholders have a right to that to that knowledge. I mean, the stakes are too high. So, um, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, in the um, background notes, I was told that you're particularly interested in the internal processes of company around training and incentives. Can you explain what that means? What exactly you're looking for? Yeah, I love this um, because <laughs> you know this is new, right? So in our um, global rankings, it was just last year we've started looking at the quality of training on ESG issues and mm -hmm. the quality or the alignment of financial incentives yeah. with, um, with, with, with ESG. Um, you know, um, maybe to start with, 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 with training, um, it is so critical to get training right because the mindset of an investor today needs to be different from what was 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago because of these systemic issues that are really starting to um, become um, manifest and knowing what we know about um, the climate crisis and, and the biodiversity crisis. I mean, there's no excuse for not knowing today. Um, needs a, a different mindset when, when, when choosing companies or countries to uh, invest in and laying down the terms and expectations for those investments. Um, you would want ideally your portfolio manager and analyst to have a pretty good handle on a complicated mix of when it, and this is for climate change transition risks 
under a range of scenarios, physical risks and litigation risks mm. um, under a range of scenarios so that they can sort of best understand um, how those investments you know will 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 shape up and 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 if there needs to be a, a change in 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 behavior now what our research found is that most investment houses have a very lunch and learn style when it comes to ESG trading maybe a few hours here and there maybe we'll send some people to some conferences um, maybe we'll do some kind of very basic um, ESG accredit accreditation I, I don't think that's enough to, to mm -hmm. really have a handle on these systemic issues. And what's missing is a standard for training on, on, on issues like climate change and, and natural capital. What we're seeing from some peers is really sophisticated approaches to train staff. And, and one good example that, that we highlighted, um, and it's worth mentioning that we don't just do the global rankings, we do leading practice research too, to sort mm -hmm. of feed that virtuous cycle by saying, this is what good looks are good looks like across all of these responsible investment areas. And I think one of the best training approaches were found was from Alain Bernstein, who worked hand in hand with um, Columbia Earth Institute to build a learning curriculum about climate risk and investments that, that, that brings in a climate science experts and, um, and the board gets that training too. So often we find that the board doesn't get ESG training, they just get some updates now and then. But, yeah. but I think I saw that release actually. Um, bringing is it the Climate University? Or yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, that's a really good example of you know mm -hmm. a, an asset manager making uh, a resource and finance commitment to making sure that that the, the the level of awareness on 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 climate risk is is fit for purpose, and and we need to see more of that. Um, so so we're we're trying in our discussions and research to help lay some foundation stones for building a standard for training. So certainly we would expect that it's mandatory for mm -hmm. staff, not just let's send some people to conferences. Yeah. That it's frequent, right? Because climate science is uh, moving along at breakneck speed. And 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 you need to bring in the external experts. Mm. You need to, we need to to the training needs to mix real world science with investment expertise, right? So you just can't leave it up to investors to do it themselves. So um, they're the sort of criterion we would like to see be, be, be leveraged. And um, so, so, so that, 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 that's quite, quite critical. Mm. Um, the, yeah. Sorry. I was about to say on the, on the financial incentive side, um, we, we, we see a lot of asset managers talk to companies and setting expectations for companies they invest in to align pay with sustainability. But when you, um, when you look at investors themselves, it's, there's not a lot of transparency on how that's happening. So there's a little bit of like, asset managers need to walk the walk uh, on this, I think to be taken seriously in those engagements, because when you look at the pay packages of asset managers, and a lot of asset managers will say things like, ESG is in our DNA, and you know it's fully integrated across all the businesses, and then it's like, well, show us how your bonuses or long-term in, uh, incentive um, um, packages are, are aligned. And, and there's just no information out there. I think it's a really, it's been an unexplored field. And I think it's critical because unless you get those internal incentives aligned, how are you going to get the ambition and the drive mm -hmm. and, and, and that, 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 that personal motivation? So, so that's, um, that's a really important area and something we've been having discussions and a think about um, how can we help build a standard for um, financial incentives for asset managers that, that are aligned with, with ESG and, and um, you know, I, 
show us the KPIs, show us what good stewardship yeah. means. Um, what's interesting is we've, we've seen it's possible. There's one Canadian um, asset manager, CDBQ, that will link um, bonus payouts to carbon reduction targets and how they're achieved across portfolios or asset classes. So the bonus will go up or down against carbon um, decarbonization pathways in, in their portfolios. And you know, wow, so there's a, quite a clear KPI and, and pretty good disclosure uh, there. So I think that's pretty much the only example we found on the 75 mm -hmm. that, 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 that have that level of uh, detail. Yeah, it's got to come from the sort of fund selectors and um, in our due diligence as well. They need to be pushing pushing from that, that the right direction. And also just touching on what you said about ESG and the DNA, oh, it really is a bugbear of mine. I don't yeah. know why some firms are still using that tagline because so many, well, so many do, and it doesn't just doesn't say much. It's not a unique message at all. <laughs> That's that 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 that's right. And you know, there's 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 very mixed levels of transparency about even what bottom-up ESG integration looks mm -hmm. like. You know, is it just removing one or two companies from a market index, or is it a very comprehensive range of indicators that are used with um with 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 uh, you know a bit more of a robust data analysis that 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 underlines it. Okay, they, this brings me nicely on um, to my next question. Um, as you know, we are running a campaign for better government within the investment management industry across the last word media publications. We want the investment management industry to look inwardly and think about whether they're running their own companies in a way that they would expect of the companies they invest in and hold in their responsible portfolios. What um, have you come across in that respect? And what do you think of asset manager standards? Are they are they living up to what they ask of the companies they invest in? I, I some are, but the majority aren't. Yeah. So you'll hear a lot of asset managers saying um, we want companies to to be part of the transition from the shareholder primacy model to the stakeholder value um, model. Mm -hmm. um, and also, I think we, we already talked about this, align your pay packages with this transition or with you know, just, you know, just truly sustainable business models. And, and that, that's an area where um, I think we haven't seen the same movement by asset managers. I think especially around purpose, like we're, we're, we're hearing a lot of noises about like the purpose of asset managers now in, you know, needing to be accountable to stakeholders, but the governance structures are still tied to maximizing profits. So there's a dissonance there and, and that has to change. And so what, and, and I, I think it's fantastic that, that, that you guys are, um, uh, are promoting governance because this change needs to come from within. Mm. And this is a great opportunity now for asset managers to revisit their purpose, to ask, is bottom-up, is, is ESG integration um, enough? And it probably isn't. Uh, uh, um, what, what we need in terms of purpose is accountability for how investments affect people and, and the planet mm. because, because investments don't happen in a vacuum. And I think for any investor to be legitimately calling themselves a responsible investor means that they take responsibility for how their investments are shaping the world around them, right? So, so you hear a lot more about real world impact. And this is at the core of our research, like in our rankings, we're saying that responsible investment needs a mindset that goes thinking beyond financial materiality into how those investments um, um, shape, shape the planet 
and 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 treat people um, along the way. Most asset managers don't have a human rights policy um, uh, and have a very reactive approach to looking at how workers are treated. And, and now with COVID and the pandemic, you know, there's been a lot more of a spotlight on the SNESG, but largely asset managers are still very silent on 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 how they they they, they treat that as well. So so if you can get the purpose. Of, of, of asset managers shifting in this direction. And then if we see commitment from the board and more resources put into stewardship and ESG integration and building out um, you know, responsible investment teams and given a mandate to, to think and act beyond financial materiality, uh, I, then I think we're moving in the right direction. And then goals like Paris, achieving the goals of Paris, you know, mm-hmm. one, 1. 1.5 degree planet and, and the sustainable development goals become within the horizon of possibility but if it's business as usual you can kiss them goodbye it's not going to happen mm. um so so this, this it's the inner work that's so critical and yeah. it's the same with human beings transformation only comes when change comes from within right and and i think we're starting to see these discussions um happening now mm. um there's a lot of soul searching there's still a lot of barriers there's still a lot of resistance um but, but I think the more uh, that these institutions are asked to rethink their purpose and align with the norms of society, mm. um, the, the better chance um, that those, those conversations will, yeah. will, will, will go somewhere. Yeah, I think, you, yeah, you've raised some really interesting points there. I think it does feel like there, there is um, some more of these conversations going on and maybe we are on the cusp of some sort of big change. We need that... Um, accountability to come forward and well asset managers to step up really isn't it absolutely absolutely um so yeah that's um that, that's yeah that, that's something we're gonna you know really keep 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 pushing on over yeah. the next you know six 12 months and, and yeah. beyond the, these next 10 years are everything these next 10 years i'd say even the next five years five years will make the difference between a, a 1.5 degree pathway and a four degree um hot house earth scenario. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we can't wait for five years for like mandatory TCFD disclosure. It's like, we need to see um, um, really strong efforts to actively decarbonize the real economy across all, all sectors, mm-hmm. like now. Um, so so this, this, this conversation can't happen soon yeah. enough. So thank you so much for joining me on this, Peter. It's been really great talking to you. Thank you. It's been a lot of fun. And um, thanks for having me on. This is Natalie again, and I am recording from sunny Brixham as part of our staycation series. As holidays abroad look continue to be restricted, many people have booked breaks in their home countries. This is not something I'm a stranger to. I'm a big fan of staycations, and we come to Brixham, a fishing harbour on the south coast of Devon, once or twice a year. It really is one of my favourite places to be. Right now, I'm in a restaurant overlooking the harbour. The restaurant is called Rockfish, and it's part of a chain run by Mitch Tonks with branches across Devon, including in Dartmouth and Torquay. Um, We love coming here. The food is delicious, but it also has a huge focus on sustainability, making sure the fishing industry does not overfish species beyond levels at which they can reproduce and maintain healthy stock levels. The Southwest and Brixham in particular are considered to be one of the most well-managed fisheries in the UK. But I spoke to rockfish owner Mitch Tonks to find out more. Mitch, thank you so much for joining me today. Pleasure. 
So when you're buying fish for your restaurants, what is important to you from a sustainability perspective? Well, I think it's important to recognise that down here in Brixham, it's pretty much of a small-scale fishing fleet. Um, the fleet is very well managed. And so really, um, just about everything that ends on ends up on the market has been caught um, by with sustain, using sustainable practices. So when I'm down on the market, what I'm looking for really is freshness. Mm -hmm. uh, we try to buy off... There's a mix of bean trawlers and day boats that are down there, and uh, both of them um, produce um, very, very good seafood. And, uh, and we're really looking for the best of their catches, really. Great. I can definitely vouch for the freshness and the, um, the taste of the seafood. It's all every meal I've had has been delicious. Um, so, um, Brixham and the Southwest is one of the leading sustainably fished fisheries in the UK. What, could, what are they doing to gain this status? Can you talk a bit about that? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, first of all, the fleet has been whittled down over the years, um, decommissioning, um, people giving up, um, and the fleet is actually quite small now in, in comparison to the size of the fishery. So that's one one big thing. The fishermen over the years have sort of moved closer to the science. So in the old days, you know, going back you know, two decades, scientists were miles away from where fishermen wanted to be and now you find the pair of them really really working together and there are a lot of very smart fishermen you know i don't think any fisherman ever uh, believed that fish that, that there would ever be a you know fish would be under pressure and uh, as soon as they realized it did nobody wants to have a kind of uncertain future so you find a lot of the guys here are very progressive you know they'll mm. they want to fish with bigger mesh nets they don't want to catch small fish you know for, for a number of reasons mm. a the environmental issue but also there's no commercial value to it it's just a lot of work filtering out the small fish that are going to be thrown back dead mm. so they're kind of aggressive on their own efforts which is really good and also the fishery is, is is so well controlled these days so you've got boats are limited to days at sea they can fish uh they're obviously subject to quotas how much they can catch and uh, there's obviously weather conditions here, which which are um, a real issue. So in all of that, you've got a a kind of you know something that is is controlled really well, and also boats are electronically controlled now. So um, you know uh, the MMO can see where they're fishing, um, and you know they, they 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 come down often, and you know they're checking to make sure things are all in order. So um, it's a it's a highly regulated and uh, well managed port and fishery. Fantastic. That's really interesting. Thank you. Um, what else is um, Rockfish doing to ensure that it is environmentally friendly? Do you have any um, projects supporting the social or um, the community around the, the restaurants? I noticed that there was an outside tap inviting people to um, fill up their water bottles. So that's one way of plastic reduction, I guess. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, for a long time, I've, I've had a belief that, you know, Rockfish was more than the sum of its parts and that, you know, our biggest stakeholders were the communities that uh, we actually exist in, because without them, we, we, we have nothing. That are not, the, the community and our people are the most important things. Yeah. And we've we've been supporting um, local charities for the last five years um, with a sort of uh, customer donation scheme and, and our own funds. And we donate about a we about a hundred thousand a year to local charities that really don't have the capability to raise their own funds, have their own profile. These are people like really doing something in the community. And one of the things that um, uh, we support is called the Devil Environmental Fund, which is a fund that I co-founded um, with um, a couple of other guys. Uh, it's part of the Conservation Collective, uh, which is Ben Goldsmith's um, organisation, and. 
we raise money. We've raised about 200,000 so far um, since we started last year. And we raise money to support grassroots projects, environmental projects around the area. And Rockfish puts quite a lot of money into that. And one of the projects that we're doing is installing sea litter bins into Brixham Harbour. And we are going to clean the plastic that comes in every day from the harbour. We're engaging our staff to be involved with it. We get them out in, in ribs, picking up the rubbish, out on paddle boards, picking up the rubbish. And it's our aim to put a big wire statue in the middle of the harbour on a pontoon mm. and fit with plastic. It's going to be a statue of a blue whale. And just highlights people just how much plastic it took to fill a blue, blue whale in so many days. So, uh, And that's something that we really want to roll out to all the harbours that we are mm. uh, in. Okay, that Speed. sounds great. Okay, um, as I mentioned before in our chat, um, we write for our audience is global fund selectors. Um, they're obviously looking after people's pensions and savings. They have a lot of might and influence in terms of their shareholdings and ability to vote. Um, um, what would you like to see the finance or the investment industry do in terms of supporting a sustainable um, sustainability within the oceans, I guess? <laughs> Mm, that's a, that's a, that's an interesting question because um, I think the trouble is with the oceans is we all kind of share it various different mm. different different. But I think one of the things is our fishing industry has never been subsidised before. It's 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 kind of privately owned. Okay. I'm wondering if there couldn't be any support for you know investment into fishing boats. Is mm. one family here that are investing heavily into fishing boats and doing it well? But it's harder for for smaller fishermen. I think probably investing into aquaculture, looking at how mm. mussel farming, seaweed farming, for instance, could be um, uh, enhanced and grown. How could small boats? You know, how could we change the economics of small boats by, you know, looking at the way they catch things, helping to support maybe processing organisations so that crab, for example, could be brought ashore by. A, you know, a cooperative of fishermen processed and then sold as, a, as, as an end processed product rather than fishermen having to land something as a commodity which then is traded all over the place. I think they're the major ones, supporting aquaculture, mm. seaweed farming. Yeah. Okay, that's would be really important. That's, that's great. Okay, well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us on yeah. the ASD Out Loud podcast today. It's, an, it's a pleasure. Thanks very much for having me on. Thank you. Find us on SoundCloud or iTunes by searching for ESG Out Loud.